Andrew said that next week he's going to sort of lay out the way we can all get involved. So I'm going to try to set him up in the most positive way for that. Annabeth and I moved um, to our house about 12 years ago, and it was a new build, and all around us were new houses, new, new buildings. And probably the most familiar sight on our street um, was the white van, which when we first noticed, we thought, there seemed to be a lot of white vans in Guelph, I wonder what that's all about. Well, very quickly, we realized that the white vans were trades vans. So they were plumbers, they were electricians, they were carpenters, they were whatever else is required when you're going to build a new building. And the interesting thing about the trades is that they may have the same tools in their vans, but they use those tools in ways that are specific to their trade. Now, where am I going with that? When we ask the question, how have we all been prepared for what God wants us to do and what we invite one another to do, I want to propose to you this morning that we are all trades people and that in the New Testament we're told exactly what the trades are. So every one of us is a trades person like an electrician, a plumber, or carpenter would be, but not in those terms, in, in different terms. And while there is an assortment of tools that we all have, um, those tools are used in service of our trades. All right, so if you can hang on to that, I hope it'll make sense, because I want to ask about the spiritual gifts and the, the abilities we have that we need to offer to God and to one another as we, we think about all of this. So if you have followed the missional movement, and I think, am I not clicked over? If you've been following the missional movement, um, there has been a lot of talk about the five-fold gifts, apept or apest. And what I want to suggest to you is that the trades that we all have uh, belong in one of those five categories. And while this is very common language now among those who are working in the church, with the church, and have been over the last 10 or 15 years, they really are a set of trades that we did not, um, either Andrew or me, in our theological training, we did not encounter. In fact, some of them were kind of dismissed. Uh, we were what was called cessationists, which means that we were in control of the Holy Spirit, and we would tell him what he's not allowed to do. I'm, I'm being a little coy, as you can see. What are the five gifts, and why do we think they belong? So apept are very simply apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor or shepherd, that's why it's apest sometimes, and teacher. What I want to do is give you the rationale that has brought me to embracing those traits and embracing those gifts, even though I was kind of forbidden to do that. Um, uh, so it's in Ephesians chapter 4, and here is the passage in which we find the mandate to employ the trades, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Here's what Paul wrote. 
He said to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So hang on to that, to each one of us. So this is not going to be a select group of people who are being identified and described. He's writing to believers, and we receive what he wrote as God's wisdom for us. And he begins by saying to each one of us, like every last one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we say, well, yeah, we know. I mean, it's all grace. So maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe he's just saying nobody is beyond um, the reach of God's grace. Maybe that's what that means until we find out what he says later on. Therefore, it says, so he's going to tell us, remember I said, when you find a therefore, you have to ask what's therefore, because my dad said that it was corny until I realized it was pretty smart. Um, Therefore, so God gave each of us grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, What does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then we'll pick up on the next verse. What is that about? Um, Long ago, there was a view that when Christ died, he went to hell and he stole captivity captive. That is what this language seems to be about that before the death of Christ, those who died um, were not immediately taken to heaven, but they're taken to a place called paradise. And they were held in paradise, away from Sheol, away from hell, but in a place where they were protected and reserved for something else. And then this old theology believed that when Christ died, he literally went to hell and he delivered paradise out of the clutches. Even though it was not within Satan's clutches, it seems to have been in the region of hell. If we can understand the cosmology of the Bible, and it's very, very hard to do that. Um, Others would say that this passage, when it says he descended to the lower parts of the earth, just means the lower parts which are the earth. And that's, there are two legitimate ways to translate that. It's a appositional genitive, for those of you who want to look that up, or it's a regular kind of genitive. So either he's saying that Christ came to the earth and then ascended on high, or that he came to the lower parts of the earth, which is thought to be where uh, paradise would have been localized. I think that old idea, um, however it is worked out in the cosmology of, of God's mind and wisdom, that old idea is what Paul is talking about here. So he says, when he came um, and stole captivity captive, he, and this is where he gets back to the therefore, so he says, to each one of us grace has been given. That's why you've been told that when Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth, he ascended and he gave gifts to men. He who ascended is also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as, and then he gives us the list of five. So the syntax of this passage is really clear that each one of us has received a grace, what what I'm calling a trade. Each one of us. Each one of us is definitely an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist 
or a pastor or a teacher? Should we play Where's Waldo and see which one you are? Um, we need to, in a sense, um, despiritualize those terms to understand, well, what does that mean? And the reason that I was taught we don't have apostles anymore, maybe Andrew was taught that, that you don't have apostles or prophets, was that earlier in, in Ephesians, we're told that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So my friend that I first shared this with, who was a theologian, said, well, that verse earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 means that the apostles and prophets were the foundation and what was built upon them was the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher. And I remember saying to him, well, what if we were wrong? And he said, well, we could have been for hundreds of years, but I don't think so. So I said, should we talk about this again someday? And he said, no, nah, I don't think so. We'll leave that alone. There is the, the office of apostleship. Um, Paul, at one point when he's trying to argue about how to behave and how not to behave, he says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? So the qualification for an apostle in terms of the office of apostle was that you had to actually have seen the Lord. And Paul argues and says, well, I've seen the Lord. And you might say, wait a minute, did he? And he would say, well, I did. Not quite the way you think I saw him. I saw him on the Damascus Road when he appeared and spoke to me. So Paul is acknowledging that apostleship is a reserved office uh, that was at the foundation of the church. But after the, the office of apostle, there's the gift of apostleship. So I think in Ephesians 4, what Paul is saying is that all five of these are up for grabs as God has given them as gifts to the church. When a conquering um, general uh, was returning home after a battle, he would bring the captives he had released in, in that battle with him in his train, and he would throw gifts to all of the people welcoming him back home, uh, whatever those gifts might be. And they were to celebrate that he had won a victory. So what Paul is saying is that when Jesus won a victory, one of the things that ensued was that he threw gifts out to all of his children. He threw gifts out to all of us. And to each one of us, including Wayne, right? including Heather, including everyone here. God has given a gift, either apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, or teaching. You know pastor is not an office, right? So we might call Andrew Pastor Andrew, and people call me Pastor Ian. And so I sometimes respond by saying, okay, um, layman Ken. Okay. Pastor is a gift. Um, not an office. Now, what do these things look like if, if we were to try to sort of um, de-spiritualize them in terms of terminology? If we think about uh, the apostle, we might use the vernacular entrepreneur. So the, the apostle and the ministry of apostleship in the New Testament and on into the early church 
was that the apostles were people who were missionaries, who went to start something, who, who went to be the beginners in particular parts of um, the growth of the church in particular regions, particularly for the growth of the, the growth of the church. And apostle simply means someone who was sent from. So we might say it's when somebody um, is sent from or appointed to something that maybe is a mission, is a task, is a program, we might say the people who do that well are apostles. They are the starters. And when you hear yourself described in, in one of these trades, I think you know where your van is, right? So there are people among us who are great starters, who love to start things, who spend their time dreaming of what could be, and then encouraging other people to join their dreams and to work towards the things that they have seen in their dreams. The second, we'll just go back to the list. The second is the prophet. And I often say that's kind of the spooky one. Um, because what do prophets do? Um, when, when people tell you that they have the gift of prophecy, is your immediate response to say, oh, that's great. How does that work for you? No, it's kind of like, really? Who told you you were a prophet? What, what does it look like when you look at yourself in the mirror when you're a prophet? So the, the beginnings of, of prophets in the Bible was not you know, a set of people who knew what the future was going to be. It was not foretelling the future that was the gift of prophecy in, in, in even the biographies of the Old Testament. The ministry of the prophet was to speak God's word relevantly into a situation. So the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. And they would prophesy even that things would happen because they knew they would happen since God had already promised they would, either for good or ill. And so the prophet would take God's word and would apply it and would say, thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen. This is the interpretation of the events around us right now. The prophet in our day and age is a person who does the very same thing. It's someone who has sort of an uncanny ability to speak into someone else's life or someone else's situation. Maybe it's a matter of a person saying, you know, when I thought about what you said is going on, this verse came to me and I can't shake it. And so I want to offer it to you. And if, if you test it and it's just nonsense, then just say it, it's nonsense and we'll be fine. But the prophet is a critical minister in the body of Christ. And some of you are prophets. It is best to be reluctant as a prophet. And every effective prophet that I've known has been horribly reluctant. Um, they have come and said, I, I'm not sure that this is right, or I'm not sure I should be so bold to say this, but I just wonder, and when a person has the gift of prophecy and says something like that, you go, oh my goodness, how did you know that? Why did you say that? Prophets are people sometimes who are very artistic. They are people who love praying. Um, they are those kinds of people. Um, the last church I was at, we had a, a lady who uh, had that same sort of tentative, I think maybe I have the gift of prophecy. And so I asked her to come to pre-service prayer meetings every Sunday morning. And I said, 
If you have a word for us, I want you always to tell us what it is. And the number of times she hesitantly at the end of our prayers would say, I don't know, this is what came to me as we were praying. And without her knowing anything about it, it would be something that was true to the situation in the church or to one of the people in the prayer group. And, and we would say to her, don't ever hold back, uh, even though it's hard and even though the thing you may need to say is a hard thing. Don't hold back from saying it. So we will need the apostles among you. We will need the prophets among you. We will need you to be courageous. We will need you to be careful. Um, we will need you to be accountable. The evangelist is the salesperson, right? So it's somebody who believes in something and wants to convince other people that they ought to believe in the same thing. So strictly, we believe in Jesus, and we would like to convince other people about who he is and what they need to know about him. But evangelism is not only that. Evangelism is being the welcomers into this family of believers, for example. It could well be that as we look for people who will help us in hospitality, um, in ushering, in welcoming, that they may be evangelists because they believe in this and they want to sell this and they will be the ones who day by day will say, hey, you should see what's happening at 200 Main. You should come. Come on, come in, come in right now. So, so maybe you're an evangelist. Maybe you're a salesperson. Maybe you're a pastor. And though as, as um, those who examine this try to sort of... Um, size it up, they will often say that the majority of people have the gifts of pastoring and teaching, um, not so many apostleship and prophecy, and maybe more evangelism. So chances are either pastor or teacher lands well for you. But let's think again about what they actually mean. The, the word pastor is actually shepherd, and it is a perfect description of what a pastor does. There are people who shepherd people in a gentle, uh, pastoral way. So I'm going to pick on John right back there. John is a pastor bar none. Uh, John, I have seen him in meetings where some of us would sit and would hear a person say about something hard that was happening, and we would speak the right kinds of words, and I would look over, and John would have moved over and gotten down on his knees and looked the person in the eye and said something careful and prayerful. That's why he's a chaplain at the hospital. So if you want to know pastor, that's easy. That's John, right? But it's also many of the rest of you. It's people who just care about other people. Now, none of us would like to admit to not caring, although I sometimes have fun with that and say, I do not have the gift of pastor, so... Go talk to someone who cares. And they will say, well, we pay you to care, so what do you say? Those who make people feel comfortable. There are people who look around when we are gathering, and they notice the people that are sitting by themselves, and they go over and sit by them, right? That's being pastoral. That, that's by being inclusive, uh, being someone who reads the room, and knows how to respond to the, the needs that seem to be apparent. The last one is easy. It's teacher. But it's not teacher in the way that we have sort of exclusively labeled teaching. 
So our commitment here is that the gift of teaching is not restricted to Andrew and me. There are many teachers here. Now, some of it will be obvious because those teachers will be going upstairs. There are people whose gift of teaching is absolutely around teaching age groups of people. I am not a teacher of children. I've tried that for many, many years, teaching my children, right? So teaching is what we do formally, but it's also what we do informally. It's when you sit at a coffee shop with a friend and you try to coach them. Um, it's, it's when you give lessons on something. Um, Susan is a classic teacher. She just has everything teacherish about her because she teaches music. And I remember times when we were in a group long ago and someone didn't get what I was trying to say and Susan helped out by saying, I'll teach that to you later. I don't know if you can remember that or not, but yeah. So the gift of teaching is, is a gift that is spread among us. Um, there are people who have skills uh, in the kitchen and they, they need to teach other people those skills. There are people who have skills upstairs and they need to coach and mentor others to be able to do those sort of things. So bottom line, have you found your white van yet? Because once we find the van, then we have two more places in scripture to go to, but not today, which is Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And there is the set of tools that all of us have and have access to, some more than others, but as we discover our base gift, we can then go to these lists and say, hmm, I never could figure out in the spiritual lifts gift, spiritual gifts list what I have. But it's a little easier for me now to figure out, am I an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher? The last thing I'd like to say about it is that folks talk about our having a base gift and a phase gift. So that there are many people who can say, well, the main gift I have is, but I also have this sort of shadow or this sort of interest in another one of the gifts. And I don't think it's my main gift, but I think it might be what you're calling a phase gift. I have the gift of teaching, and I had the joy several years back of being uh, the lead of a team of teachers. So there were three of us and we got to teach every Sunday. I, I taught half, and the other guys taught a half of the, the half. But we would have study breaks together, and we would go to Starbucks, and it was back when the big tables first came into Starbucks, and you could take all your stuff, and people would look at you and then kind of come over and sit by and say, what are you guys talking about? And, yeah. So we would go to Starbucks, and we would, we would decide on a series of teaching. So the curious thing was that all of us had the gift of teaching, but all of us had a different phase gift. So my phase gift is apostleship, which means that I would always ask, well, should we start something? Uh, should we change something? Uh, change is a good word for me. I love it. Um, I get bored easily, especially with myself. Um, the, the other two guys had the phase gifts of shepherd and prophet. So we would literally have this kind of conversation. Here's a passage or a topic that we want to teach. All of us could teach it. Who will teach it best? And we had to ask ourselves the question, is this a matter that Brad the prophet 
should be teaching because is it something that he'll likely begin with a U2 song and some commentary on society and justice and all of that? Uh, if so, you know, he needs to be up there. He needs to be the crazy guy up there, like going off on what we should be doing differently. So if that's the kind of passage or topic we want to teach, Brad's our man. It's, it's, it's the teacher prophet. If it's a pastoral message, obviously we will have Doug, the pastor, um, who is a teaching with a pastoral gift coming alongside of it. Doug would teach like this. He would literally stand in front of people and he would appeal to them like this. Like Brad was always behind the pulpit like this. But Doug would come out and like he would talk to people and say, do, do, you, do you understand? In a gentle, pastoral kind of a way. And whatever the passage was, um, God was so gracious because we could see which take on the passage seemed to be wise, and therefore it ought to be you teaching and not me. We need to be having those kinds of conversations. Who are the teachers among us? What, what way do they teach people? What way do they lead people? What way do they, do they coach people? And as we decide on categories and bins, so to speak, Andrew, as we think about you know, sort of departments of ministry, um, we can start by just asking, well, what trades do we need here? And who are they? And then what tools do we need to pull out of the toolboxes and uh, have fun uh, celebrating the fact that to each one of us, grace has been given. By the way, you know what that means. He, he went down, he came back up, and he gave gifts to all of us. Some were the gifts of apostleship, some were prophecy, some evangelism, some pastoring, and some teaching. Don't say you didn't get a gift. Or maybe you weren't in the parade. Go back to the parade and have a look at the, the, the gift that God seems to be giving to you. Can we pray? Father, we bless you for the bounty of our salvation. Not only did you forgive us, um, redestine us, but for the journey you have piled gifts upon us. And we love to discover them and to use them to please you and to help and stimulate each other to growth as we become mature, as Paul promises in this passage. In Jesus' name.